to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you doubt God's love, if you wonder whether or not He has mercy, if your concern may be that you've exhausted His grace, you haven't. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. How do we know? We know because He willingly laid down His life for us. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, in a message titled, The Lion and the Lamb. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. We're zeroing in on these first seven verses here today. And, and chapters four and five are connected. And so we want to bridge the gap there between the chapters, we pick up here with John describing what he saw as he was taken up to the very throne room of God. And there, as we saw in chapter four, John saw God sitting upon a throne clothed in brilliant light. We saw that there were 24 thrones that surrounded God's throne and upon them sat 24 elders We saw that there uh, was the presence of the Spirit. The seven spirits of God are there, speaking of the fullness of the Spirit. We saw that there were four magnificent creatures who are leading in the worship of him sitting on the throne. And we saw that in their leading of the worship, they cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so now that brings us to the... Next thing that is noted here, John tells us in chapter five, verse one, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And so John sees now in in the hand of God, there is this scroll. Now, a seven sealed scroll in Roman times often was a will. It was a will. And if 
if we think of it in those terms, the scroll seems to be that very thing. It, it is, it's the declared will of the Father, and it contains both God's will regarding time and eternity and the instructions on how his will is to be executed. The thing that John sees is that there's no one worthy to open it. So the strong angel proclaims with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one anywhere in the universe is found worthy. There's no angel, no prophet, no priest, no saint. No one is found worthy to open this scroll. And this causes John to weep much, it says here in verse four. So I wept much. The idea here is inconsolable grief. So John is, is inconsolable. And you can understand why he's that way if we understand what the significance of no one being able to take the scroll. What it's essentially talking about is that there's, there's no one to implement the will of God back into the universe. So in John's mind, this is the worst possible situation imaginable. But verse five tells us one of the elders said to him, do not weep. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So there is hope. There is good news. John is now directed to put his attention upon this one that the elder refers to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. Later on in the book of Revelation, toward the end of the book, uh, Jesus refers to himself as both the root and the offspring of David. He is both. He's the root in the sense that he is God, and as God, he brought David into existence and gave him his throne, but he's also the offspring of David because he is, according to his human nature, he is the son of David. And so it says here concerning him, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. So there is hope. God has a plan. His will is going to be brought to pass. Jesus is the executor of God's will. He's going to put it into action, the will of God. So now he says to John, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seals. And I looked and behold, so John looks in the direction. Apparently the, the elder is pointing in a direction. So I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So you see, it's an interesting contrast here. The, the elder says the lion of the tribe of Judah. John looks to see, presumably he's looking to see a lion, but what does he see? He sees rather than a lion, he sees a lamb. He sees a lamb as it had been slain. Now, whenever we hear of Jesus as the lamb, we need to remember that the reference is primarily to his sacrifice rather than to his demeanor. 
Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't have any reference to his demeanor. A lamb is meek, a lamb is mild, a lamb is patient, those kinds of things. And, and of course, Jesus was those things as well. But the primary reference when we're talking about Jesus as the lamb is the sacrificial aspect. When John the Baptist was pointing his followers toward Jesus as the one that they were to now follow, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he sees Jesus in a, in a sacrificial context. And so John looks, and this is what he sees. He sees a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God that go out into all the earth. So, of course, in the book of Revelation, you have a lot of symbolism. In the prophetic books, you have symbolism. All through the Old Testament, especially, we find it here as well. The horn is a reference to power. And then the eyes would be a reference to knowledge. You see, you see everything. So this is saying concerning the lamb that was slain that he has all power and he has all knowledge. He has the fullness of the spirit. Now, I want to look at these two images of Jesus here today as on the one hand, he's, he's the lamb and on the other hand, he's the lion. And I want to apply that to us. And I, I want to quote from uh, two different writers, from uh, Jonathan Edwards back in the 1700s and then from Tim Keller as well, talking about just this picture here, these, these two different pictures. Edward said this, he said, the lion excels in strength and in the majesty of his appearance and voice. The lamb excels in meekness and patience. And then he said, but we see that Christ is in the text compared to both because the diverse excellencies of both wonderfully meet in him. There is in Jesus Christ a conjunction of such really diverse excellencies as otherwise would have seemed to us utterly incompatible in the same subject. Yeah, you don't think of a, of a lion and a lamb, you know, the same person being both, but that's the picture that we have here of Jesus. And I, I think commenting on this same picture, Tim Keller said this, he said, in Jesus we find infinite majesty yet complete humility, perfect justice yet boundless grace, absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission, all sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. So we, we see these two pictures of Jesus. And now I want us to look at how this is applicable to us. Now this, of course, the, the larger application from the text, this is universal, the application is. But I want to apply it to us right now today. So as we think of a lamb, we think of the lamb, first of all, as a willing substitute, as a willing substitute, the substitute for, as we think of Jesus as the lamb, rather, we think of him as a willing substitute, which tells us of his love, his mercy, and his grace. We need to remember that Jesus was not forced to sacrifice his life for us. He chose to do it. It wasn't imposed upon him against his will. He willingly did this. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. He 
also said that the greatest demonstration of love for another was to give one's life for someone else. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends, he said to his disciples, and he said, you are my friends. And so the first thing that I want us to see is that his love and his mercy and grace are shown to us through him giving himself as a willing sacrifice. If you doubt God's love, if you wonder whether or not he has mercy, if your concern may be that you've exhausted his grace, you haven't. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. How do we know? We know because he willingly laid down his life for us. That's what he did. And you know, Paul reminds us in Romans that he did this not when we were his friends, but he did this when we were his enemies. And this is the great demonstration of God's love, according to Paul. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it was while we were in that state of revolt toward him that he died for us. If, if that's the case, how much more is his love abundant toward us who are now his people, who are now his children? So his love for us, his mercy for us, his grace for us, that we are reminded of as we think of him as the sacrificial lamb. But secondly, the lamb was the atoning sacrifice, or it was through the blood of the lamb that sins were cleansed and washed away. And so with us as well, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, this is not just a one-time event. We're not just cleansed once. Many, many people think this, believe it or not. Many people ask the question, well, okay, what happens when I sin after I've been forgiven? So I come to Jesus, my sins are, are forgiven, my sins are cleansed, but then inevitably I, I, I sin again. So what happens then? Well, when John tells us, the same one who's writing this revelation in his first letter as he's writing, when he tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin, he put that in a continual tense. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, is continually washing you from sin. That's the wonderful truth. That blood of Jesus that was there to initially forgive our sins and to wash us and cleanse us and bring us into the covenant relationship with God, that blood is still cleansing us today. And, you know, of course, we all, throughout the days of our lives, we sin, don't we? We don't sin intentionally necessarily, but we think the wrong thing. We feel the wrong thing. We get upset. We, you know, we, we sin. If it were not for the blood of Jesus that was constantly cleansing us from that sin, we would have a problem in communion with God. But because his blood is there cleansing us constantly, we have that continual access and fellowship with him. And then when I do sin willfully, what do I do then? Well, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So you see, when we think of Jesus as the lamb, these are the things that we need to think of. His love, his mercy, his grace, and his sacrifice that continues to cleanse us from our sin. But then we have the picture of him as the lion. And again, in the, in the bigger context of the book, as the lion, he's, he's conquering. You know, I think it's interesting that in almost every culture, lions 
To this very day, lions are kind of considered the king of the beast, aren't they? They are the, the most majestic of the animal kingdom. And when you, when you look at Revelation, you know, Jesus is, as the lion, what he's being pictured as the, is as the one who conquers, the one who prevails, the one who overpowers all of his enemies. I think it's interesting because one of the enemies that we're going to come across here pretty soon is the dragon, that great dragon, that serpent of old, the devil and Satan, but the lion of the tribe of Judah, he prevails against him as well. So we see as he's being presented as a lion who's going to prevail, he's going to open these seals. These seals are the judgment of God that's coming upon the earth to prepare the earth for God's kingdom to be established. But as we think of Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, think of him as, first of all, your defender. He defends us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? We are assaulted. We are attacked. The enemy is going about seeking whom he may devour. But our champion, our conqueror, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he defends us. But not only does he defend us, he also is on the offensive and he is going forth to conquer and to overpower all of the enemies of God. To overpower all of the enemies of God, to overpower your enemies and my enemies because we're the children of God. Maybe you find yourself being overpowered by something. Maybe there's something that has just caused such grief in your life. Maybe, maybe there's something that just literally causes you in your personal and private time to, to, to weep inconsolably before God. Know this, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. The Lord is the victor. He's going to get the victory and he wants us to trust in that. Maybe it is a marital crisis. Maybe it is a family crisis. Maybe it is a health crisis or a financial crisis, or maybe it's a sin crisis. Maybe you or maybe someone else has, has been overtaken by sin. And you see that and you just, it, it just seems, the situation seems really impossible. And that's where John was. That's why he was weeping convulsively, because it just seemed like this is an endless situation. It's never going to be resolved. The world's going to go on and on and on forever under the will of man. But the elder says, no, don't weep. There is an answer. There is a solution. The, the answer, the solution is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed. And he will prevail in our lives. And we need to believe that. We need to just lay hold of that. We need to, with John, just, you know, on, on many occasions and in many of these kinds of circumstances, what we really need to do is we just need to fix our eyes on the lion of the tribe of Judah and just know, you know what? Jesus is going to prevail in this. He's going to win. He's going to overpower all of our foes. He's going to overpower all of the enemy. He's going to be the victor. And that is the beautiful thing that 
this whole book is reminding us of. You know, there's many aspects to the book of Revelation. There are many prophecies and there are many things that are very detailed for us about what is coming in the future. And all of those things are incredibly intriguing and they're, they're very interesting and all of that. But you know, the overarching word of Revelation is this, God wins in the end. That's the big message of the book of Revelation. And so as, as we as we journey through the book of Revelation. And, and I want to encourage you to do this. I'm, I'm doing this myself. I'm just reading this book all the way as we're teaching it, however long it's going to take us to get through. I'm just reading it myself over and over and over again, not apart from even the studying part of it. I'm studying it, but then I'm just reading it. But I'll tell you, every time I'm reading it, I'm just, it's just so reassuring. It's so comforting. I mean, let's face it. We, you look around at the world and men, it's a cause for weeping, isn't it? It's a cause for lamentation. So many things that we see in, in our world, so many evils, so many wrongs, so many horrific things happening. And oh, to think that, that, that there's no solution to that or that the only solutions are the ones that, that sinful men can come up with but then to just be reminded over and over again. You know, I, I'm like anybody else. I, I, you can't get help but get caught up in the, the political thing and all of the stuff that's going on and all of the theories about who's going to win this and what's going to happen with that. And, you know, it's just the way it is, right? And that can be so um, overwhelming at times. It can be so grievous. I'll tell you a good way to counter it. Read the book of Revelation. <laughs> or just pick, up your, just pick up your Bible. Just keep this in mind. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. Notice what he said. He has prevailed. He's already prevailed. And if it's your marriage or if it's your children or if it's your health or if it's whatever, some insurmountable thing that's just got you buried underneath it. Know that the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He has already prevailed. And it's just a matter of time before he brings to pass the victories that he's already accomplished. And, and you will see it. You'll see it. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. Coincidence, do things in life simply happen by chance? Or is there actually a loving God behind the scenes who is weaving His goodness into the details of our lives? Well, in his book, The Myth of Coincidence, John Bonner testifies of the God who uses our failures, weaknesses, and tragedies to intentionally create a life of fruitfulness. If you want to be encouraged that the same God is working in your life in purposeful ways, this book will remind you that God is indeed at work in your life too. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. 
to order The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.